Here's a quote from James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. We're in the midst of a pandemic, a very unusual time when many of our normal activities are suspended, where we're spending a lot more time at home without the proximity of others, and thus with ourselves, with our thoughts and our sensations, as well as in some cases with loved ones who we're not used to spending quite that much time with. There's no question that these times are challenging and in many ways we find ourselves wishing this had never happened and that things could return to normal, whatever that is. But since this is happening, I think we have to ask ourselves, what value can we find in these times? What are the hidden gifts that were perhaps not apparent to us in other times? How might our present circumstances be moving us forward to greater love, greater understanding, greater connection, greater faith, greater wisdom, and greater peace. Richard Rohr, whose email newsletter I read every morning, and whose books I have devoured voraciously, tells us that the path to enlightenment in life, or for that matter, in any endeavor, can be divided into three phases, order, disorder, and reorder. In Christian terms, these phrases can be, or these phases can be compared to life, death, and resurrection. Life, death, resurrection, order, disorder, reorder. In the first phase, order, our ego puts things together so we can function in the world and know who we are. In doing this, we create what Thomas Merton calls a false self. We think that this structure that we've put together, this image, is who we really are. This stage is essential in early life especially, so we can take our place in the world, have a sense of identity, and function in a way that makes us feel we have a sense of purpose and an idea, also often false, that we know where we're going. So who I thought myself to be for much of my life was David, a musician, a composer, a Broadway and movie conductor, a gay man, Jewish, a member of unity, with a certain level of affluence and popularity, a beautiful home, a long-term partner, smart, funny, if I do say so myself, often anxious or depressed, with some awards, some recognition, and some successes and some failures, successes being good and failures being bad. And my life was about striving to maintain the part of all that that I liked while trying to get away from or overcome the parts I didn't like. A lot of work, but in this state of order, I thought I knew who I was because I could tell you and show you who I was. It made sense. I made sense. In the second phase, disorder. Something usually happens that disrupts this order, a death an illness, a breakup, a loss of a job, a natural disaster, a crisis of faith. Something that makes our ordered structure fall apart and makes it seem somehow meaningless. And in this time, 
We feel like we're lost in space. We can't figure things out. We don't know what we're doing or why we're doing it. We don't know what we're here for. It can be very frightening. In fact, it can feel like something is dying because, in fact, something is dying. Our false self is dying. Our image of what we think we're supposed to be, which we have plastered over who we really are, is dying. And our thought that our value is based on that false self rather than on something deeper is dying. This can be, to say the least, disconcerting. When we move into this stage of disorder, many of us fight tooth and nail to pull it together, go back to the way it was before, regain our stature, our image, our structure. In fact, maintain our false self. Because it's too scary to be in disorder and we have no idea what's on the other side of that. But Richard Rohr contends that it's this very disorder that if weathered, if accepted, if given into, allows us to get in touch with a deeper, truer self connected to spirit, connected with bigger reasons why we are here, and allows our greater purpose to emerge. If we can be here in this disorder, we allow spirit, God, our higher self, call it what you will, to work on us, to work in us, in unconscious ways, and connect us to a sense of being loved, of being part of the whole, of being safe, of having an intrinsic purpose that's much deeper than any amount of money or prestige or standing in the physical world could ever give us. As we stay in this time of disorder, live it, experience it, meditate and contemplate in it. The illusion of false self is gradually replaced by the reality of the true self, and we now enter the phase of reorder, where life once again makes sense in a different way, and is fulfilling in a very different way, in a non-intellectual way, in a way we couldn't have imagined while we were in the ordered phase. We are connected to the whole. We are valuable just because we exist. We are living, as it were, in God and being lived by life rather than trying to control it. And when we give into this and allow it, our actions, our passions, our interests, our interrelationship with others, and our contributions now come out of a natural connection as opposed to out of a sense of separateness, winning, losing, us and them. It's often a challenge to allow ourselves to do this. And many of us in this extended time of disorder find ourselves trying to hold on to the old order and not give into and move through the disorder phase. We find ourselves clinging to separateness, clinging to winning and losing, clinging to right and wrong, clinging to us and them. We see it in the politics, in our online posts, in our complaints, and in our fears. But if we stay with our disordered experience of the pandemic, our isolation, the falling away of many of the physical world things by which we defined ourselves, we can begin to see it as an opportunity to let go of the false self and find a deeper, truer self if only we're willing to go through the pain and confusion and lack of direction and trust. Trust that there is something good at work here that we cannot see something good for each of us personally, and something good for the world as a whole. 
Now, in saying that, I always have to remind myself that this cannot be said lightly or glibly, because although we all are in the same storm, we are not all in the same boat. Some of us are going through this period fairly comfortably, avoiding illness, doing our work in different ways, spending quality time with our loved ones, catching up with friends on Zoom, catching up on TV shows, exploring new areas of endeavor, mask making or cooking, writing books and music, posting performances, words of wisdom, our opinions online. But for many, the hardship is great. People are getting very sick. People are dying. People don't have enough to eat. People are out of work. People can't go to work because their children are at home, because those children can't go to school. So for some, the sense of disorder is much greater and at times may seem unbearable. We can't know why this is happening, but paradoxically, in this time of distance and sometimes despair, we as a collective have the opportunity to use this disorder and letting go to spirit to not only get closer to ourselves, but to get closer to each other. The opportunity here is to increase our sense of empathy, our sense of seeing us all as one, while understanding that others may have experiences that differ from ours. To listen to one another, to love and support each other in any way we can. It's an opportunity to hear opposing points of view and look for understanding and commonality rather than judgment and divisiveness. An opportunity to rethink and live out our deepest, most human and compassionate values. And we're seeing this all over in the extraordinary sacrifices that our medical workers and other essential workers are making, risking their health to be there for us, in the gestures of kindness and friendliness we see in so many ways, in people giving money and support to those in need, in sharing grief and prayers and the pain of others when that is called for, and in people banding together, wearing masks, keeping social distance out of consideration for each other and out of a sense of our mutual respect and caring and our desire to heal our planet, this planet that we all inhabit together. All of these things we must, uh, must do during this period of disorder, even though we don't know how we're gonna come out of this period. We can't know. That's the nature of the disorder phase. Spirit and unconscious forces are working within us, and we have to let them work without knowing how they work. In, all, in short, we have to test our faith. We have to trust the process even when it gets confusing and painful and challenging. I remember well a period of disorder I went through in 1986. I had been conducting on Broadway show after show for eight years. I knew who I was. I assumed that I would just keep doing that on a higher and higher level, doing bigger and bigger shows, making more and more money, and living happily ever after in the relationship I was in at the time. Conducting on Broadway had been my dream. It had been my goal. And here I was doing it in show after show. But to my surprise and disappointment, I had begun to realize that I wasn't finding it fulfilling and I didn't want to do it anymore. With that career, that dream, coming to an end, I felt directionless and lost. I was 36 years old and I thought, I'm done. 
I'm never going to do anything again. I'm never going to be interested in anything again. I'm never going to deeply and passionately care about anything again. Although I was in a long-term relationship, I decided to take our little dog and go to our tiny lake house in Pennsylvania for a month by myself. During that month, I cooked, I cried, I watched movies, I walked, I was bored, I slept, basically did whatever I was moved to do without organization or purpose. One day a week, I'd go into the city and do whatever business I needed to take care of to earn a little money and return to the country. At the end of the month, I was no further along in figuring out what I wanted to do and felt more hopeless and unambitious than before. So I stayed for another month, again thinking, I'm not interested in anything, I'm not feeling creative, it's all over. After a couple of months, for no apparent reason, not because I had had any revelations or come to any conclusions, I returned home. I have no idea what I've learned, no greater sense of direction, no less of a feeling of hopelessness. I just went home and waited helplessly to see what life would hand me. Hmm. Over the next period of time, I wrote my first musical, produced five Nancy Lamont CDs, created the music for three animated television series, wrote all of my best known songs, Listen to My Heart, Help Us on the Way, We Can Be Kind, We Live on Borrowed Time, I'll Be Here With You, Rich, Famous, and Powerful, conducted and vocal arranged four Disney, major Disney animated films, and wrote the music for several others, had a quadruple platinum hit song with Diana Ross, and the list goes on. I don't know how, I don't know why, but somehow that time in the desert in disorder had cleared the way for me to make a contribution that I was connected to. It had cleared the way for purpose. When I look back on it, I realized that that time of disorder, in that time what changed for me was that because I'd become unable to keep pushing into the future, I fell into the present. In that present, I found a lot of sadness a lot of pain, a lot of unprocessed emotions and events that I have not stopped to experience. My mind was not able to figure out what to do, so I just stayed with what is, and in doing that, I came to a deeper connection with who I was, and thus a deeper connection to higher power, without purpose, without false self, just a deeper connection. And that deeper connection manifested as creativity, and contribution pouring out of me in new ways that I hadn't even known were there before. And my career became more about making a contribution to the world. And in my doing that, the world began to contribute more to me because that's the way it works. It was an amazingly fertile and exciting time in my life. And I never could have dreamed that it would have come out of the seemingly desolate time that preceded it. But it definitely did. Now, that extraordinary period of creativity came to a crashing halt in the late 90s when a confluence of truly painful and disruptive events again took my organized life, my reorganized life, into a period of disruption and disorder. The events that led to this were much more traumatic. The death of Nancy Lamont, the singer who had been my muse for years, the sudden dissolution of my 15-year relationship, and the death of my mother, all happening within a few years of each other. Now, you would think 
I would have learned from the period of disorder I had experienced in 1996. But no, uh-uh. I spent the next several decades fighting to rise above this. And the more I tried to fight and rise above it, the more I kept feeling I was sinking into it. A lot of great things happened during those decades. I met Sean. I wrote a number of wonderful shows and got them produced. I appeared on the Today Show for 10 years. I found Unity. We moved into our beautiful home. I got to star in my own Broadway show of my music and had a critical hit with my show Desperate Measures. But I always felt like I was fighting, trying to fulfill some image I had of myself, of what I should be, clawing for some sense of self that I thought I could get with a certain level of success and recognition and always feeling like I was failing, like life was pushing back at me. Frankly, I was feeling like I couldn't keep pushing like this, like I needed to stop. But I realize now I never would have stopped on my own. I was too addicted to it. But the gift for me, as it was in 1986, was that life stopped me. And thank God it did. So when we got the news that we needed to socially isolate, that Broadway theater was closed, that, life, that live coaching and performing were not happening, I immediately thought, what is this? How can I be in this and allow it to work for me? The first decision I made was to let go and let God, to sit back and take the perceived risk of being willing to receive whatever the universe had to give me. Up to that point, I had lived a life where I thought nothing would be given to me. I had to go out and get everything by myself. So to me, sitting back and letting myself receive without trying felt like giving up, like being helpless. But since I was actually helpless against the current circumstances, as well as feeling helpless to make things happen, I thought, what the heck? I will let go. I will test spirit, test my faith by giving over to it, and I'll see what happens. The first week, what I received was a lot of unexpected bills. My egoic mind, my false self, immediately thought, you see, you let go for a minute and the universe attacks you. But I continued to sit there, felt my sensations, noticed my thoughts, and said to myself, fine. If that is what's showing up, I'll take it and see where it leads. After all, what do I know? <laughs> then a huge unexpected royalty check came in the mail for movies I'd done over 25 years ago, which more than paid for all those bills and made up for other financial losses I had incurred in the first few weeks of our isolation. Coaching online came slowly, and again, my mind said, you see, you're worthless. Nobody wants to work with you. I was comparing myself to what I thought I should be. And so I said, let it go. If you starve, you starve. Test your faith. Having let go of the striving for image and stature and wealth, I received the divine idea to cut my coaching prices in half to give people who are struggling with finances access to my work. Client after client began coming, and I noticed I was just doing the coaching for the purpose and the joy of coaching, for the purpose of being with and helping people, rather than for some sense of prestige or notoriety, or for the prospect of making a lot of money. 
my ongoing weekly thought exchange workshops, my two weekly singing classes, my private coaching sessions, all seem just right. Not too much, not too little. From out of the blue, I was approached to do a huge video on my song Help Us on the Way for Broadway Cares COVID Foundation. It was months in the making with dozens of Broadways, with a dozen Broadway stars and a total of 75 singers and musicians recording remotely and donating their time. Our local studio, Factory Underground, got on board with hundreds of hours of mixing. It was a lot of work, but truly a labor of love done with no thought of remuneration, just giving back. And sort of like tithing, the circle kept coming back around to me. The more I gave without thought of receiving, the more things I needed seemed to come to me spontaneously. All I had to do was, focusing on, was focus on contributing, and I was contributed to, often in ways or didn't, that I didn't expect or couldn't have foreseen. I was not making a fortune, but I was receiving and am receiving my daily bread Surprise checks continued to come in, and I set my thoughts of I didn't earn this aside and accepted them. I noticed that I, who had always worried about money obsessively, was not worrying about money. And with our not driving to the city, not eating out, not having our clothes dry cleaned, not having guests in the house, we were actually saving quite a bit of money, more than we usually would. Sean and I were spending a lot more time together and really working on our relationship in ways we should never done before because we were too busy. Healing old wounds, being able to talk about things that had been painful and also finding a lot more joy and laughter and camaraderie. As the pandemic slogs on and all the tensions around politics, the election, unrest and conflict increase, it's sometimes difficult to stay in this period of disorder. But given my past experiences and given my determination to test my faith, I'm doing my best to not only regard this as the dark before the dawn, as spirit working things out in ways I can't understand, but to live in it fully in the now. The nature of the disorder period is that it tests our faith and if we let it, ultimately proves our faith. One of the things most of us have done during this period is watch a lot of TV. Sean and I, as well as a number of our friends, have become totally addicted to an Australian series called A Place to Call Home. And thinking about why we're all so drawn to it, I realized that throughout the story, people get into impossible situations that seem to have absolutely no possible solution that we can see. And then things work out in ways we couldn't have imagined possible. This has become, for me, sort of a metaphor for our times. So we're in a time of disorder, a time when we can't figure out solutions and have to turn them over to our higher power. In the order period, we often experience ourselves as separate entities, trying to get ahead, trying to be safe in a physical world, trying to win. As we move through disorder into reordering, we move from a separateness to a new sense of purpose and connection to a source much greater than ourselves. A few weeks ago, Sean told me he was at a meeting where the topic of discussion was loneliness. And during this discussion, Sean had an important revelation which I'd like to share with you. He realized loneliness is not necessarily cured by being in a relationship. There are many people 
point in relationships who feel a deep sense of loneliness. Loneliness is not necessarily cured by having money or being rich or successful or famous. There are many people who are rich, successful, and famous who feel a deep sense of loneliness. There's only one cure for loneliness, connection to spirit, connection to the higher power that is within each of us, connection to the allness and knowing that we completely belong no matter what our life circumstances. This period of disorder, by forcing us to disconnect from many of the things we become addicted to, to give us a false sense of connection, allows us to explore the process of connecting to spirit. We get to test our faith. This can be frightening. This can be scary. But the rewards that await us may be greater than we could have ever imagined. I say, since we're here, since we're all in this together, since this is what has been given to us, let's take the chance. Let's test our faith. I leave you with a prayer that I keep on my desktop and I read every day. It's called the welcoming prayer. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me in this moment because I know it is for my healing. I welcome all thoughts feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for security. I let go of my desire for affection. I let go of my desire for control. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and presence of God and the healing action and grace within. Whatever is going on now, however chaotic it may appear, however much you don't understand it or can't figure out where it's leading, let go to it, accept it, allow it to work on you, in you and through you, and know that no matter how dark the winter seems to be, the spring always arrives. That's just the nature of things. So let's be open to the perhaps hidden, perhaps unexpected gifts that these times and these tests might bring. Let's use this time to test our faith. <laughs>